Hello and welcome to Move Live, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm Ryan Noonan, joined here, as always, by my friends to talk about NFL size and totals, the best matchups here for the Week 16 slates. Joining me here, as always, Connor Allen. What's going on, buddy? Not a whole lot. Excited to talk about some games here. I think we have a couple really good games and then a lot of games with playoff implications that I think are really gross, which led me to tweeting out like current playoff standings. And I just like almost vomited at some of the, you know, first week matchups that we might be getting as it currently stands. But thankfully, I think we're going to see a lot of movement here in the coming weeks. Uh, and excited to break that down with you guys. Yeah, even picking the five games to talk about today in the show is a little bit challenging because like that on paper, it's not necessarily a game we're like fired up to talk about per se, but it has like massive playoff ramifications in week 16 with only three games left with some of these uh, borderline playoff teams kind of like going head to head a little bit. So a little bit ugly, but uh, joining us here as always as well. Sharp Clark. Clark, what's going on? Yeah, not much. I'm, I'm hanging out in my parents' uh, apartment this this week for, for the holidays. So I apologize if my uh, stream is a bit choppy, but I, I agree with I agree with Connor. The, the AFC playoffs took a turn for the worse last week when the Browns inexplicably came back against the Bears. Like not just yeah. because I had Bears money line, but a Bears win would have been great. And then the CJ Stroud concussion uh, lasting at least another week uh, is, is a bummer, not just for the playoff picture, but also for CJ himself. That uh, you never want to see a concussion uh, that lasts longer than a week. So. Uh, yeah, ma- ma- major bummer in the AFC, but hopefully we'll we'll get some good games out of it still. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I have that in the notes because those two teams go head-to-head this week, and we, uh, we'll be talking about that one in a little bit too. But yeah, it's an unfortunate uh, turn of events there, especially in Houston. So I want to remind folks, uh, the three of us are here every Wednesday, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the 4 for 4 Bets YouTube channel. You can find the podcast in your feed later on Wednesday evenings. Subscribe to both so you don't miss a show. It's free content, so subscribing, thumbs up, all those things go a long way. In supporting us here um and again if you want to get down with props um things we do on that end prop drop is every friday afternoon 3 p.m eastern here same channels myself connor and uh, john Highslop from odds jam again don't forget to subscribe you can get those shows uh and you know get the notifications so you don't miss them also betting sub is going to get you access to all of our official plays uh, we are still grinding nba there as well uh, if you're getting into anything still and anything football speculation this time of year, we still have some like playoff only best ball and stuff like that. All that is covered with the betting subscription at four for four. You can go over to four for four.com slash plans uh, discounted massively right now uh, in comparison to where we've been in previous months. So again, more information here in the show notes, go ahead and check that out. It's again, four for four.com slash plans. All right. Standard Thursday night game, two Saturday games and a full slate on Christmas Eve. And then three games on Christmas Day. This is an assault on family, families and marriages uh, across the nation. This is, uh, this is unacceptable. Uh, it's a crime. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm excited about it. Part of our job, though, is to watch football. So it's really tough. It's a tough sell, you know, for, for families. You know, I'm looking forward to, like, the calendar shift. Like, in a couple of years, it's going to be Wednesday. And it's just not going to matter. And it's going to be cool. Break up the monotony of things, but uh, that'll still be massively convenient because we'll have a show on Wednesdays. We'll be like, hey, are we doing our show on Christmas? Like, so there's always something when you're in this, and uh, it just is this time of year. So, what are you going to do about it? So, we'll start with the uh, Saturday nightcap. Like I said, two games there on Saturday. Cincinnati is on the road in Pittsburgh. Uh, Toll has been bet down here with the Jamar Chase report. Uh, Chase going to miss this one with a shoulder injury that he suffered versus Minnesota there. We are down to 37 after opening at 40. Spreads hovering in the same range, though. Uh, it's Bengals less than three everywhere. 
FanDuel has one and a half. There's some, you know, two, two and a halfs out there as well. Clark's touching on that briefly here. In the AFC playoff picture, both these teams are on the outside looking in right now. Bengals very much alive uh, if they can win here. Steelers mostly dead. They become all the way dead. If Mason Rudolph can't get it done this week, he is now getting the start for Pittsburgh after MVP Mitch on that roller coaster cannot go uh, differently than we expected there. Connor, what are your thoughts here on on this AFC North matchup? Yeah, I mean, a Saturday matchup, the dreams are made of here. Mason Rudolph versus Jake Browning. Doesn't get a whole lot better than that. You know, I, I think it's what's interesting, though. So Jake Browning so far this season in his four starts, 8.67 8.67 yards per attempt, second out of 40 qualifying quarterbacks, first in completion rate at 73%, seven to three touchdown interception rate, 4.9% completion over percentage over expectation, which is also first. Like all of these stats are wild, but it also factors in the fact that he has the second lowest average at the target uh, in the league among all those qualifying quarterbacks. But it's only a little bit lower than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was like 41st at 6.7. His is like 6.2. So He's obviously not Joe Burrow, but I think that what with what he's being asked, he's been doing fairly well. And so I think this is, could be an interesting spot here for Cincinnati to to score. The last time they played, it was 16 to 10. It looks like the Bengals only ran 41 plays in that game, if I if I did the math correctly. Uh, and so, you know, obviously super low play volume, but part of that was because the Steelers were able to run the ball. And so I now the Bengals lost CJ Reader. I don't really see that changing a whole lot. So like so the Steelers starting Mason Rudolph in a game that they already ran the ball 30 times really well. Like they're probably going to just do that again, knowing the Steelers and kind of their tendencies. Uh, and so I worry a little bit about play volume this side, but I do expect the Steelers to have success running the ball. I do expect, expect the Bengals passing off to have some success. So, you know, like I want to bet the Bengals, but do I really want to lay, you know, lay the points with the Bengals on the road? I think that's what I'm going back and forth with here. But like, if I had to choose a side, it'd probably be the Bengals and like a slight lean over, even though it's a little bit gross. I think both sides have a little success offensively. Yeah, Clark, this was the first post-Matt Canada uh, era game in which the uh, Steelers put up 400 total yards for the first time in like four years. They haven't done it since, but they did it here against the Bengals. We're now a little bit weaker without DJ Reader. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start with with the DJ Reader injury because I don't have flat values assigned to individual players in terms of this player is worth X points to the spread. Uh, because I think it matters a lot the context of the game and how that injury will impact that specific game. And I think the DJ Reader injury is massive against a team like Pittsburgh because their run game is not very creative, particularly. I mean, they do run a couple end arounds every now and then, but it's really just relying on can our offensive line win up front and create holes for our two running backs. And when they can do that, they're successful. Um, and so not having DJ Reader on a defense that already failed to stop the run it's not like the Bengals are going to scheme up some way to stop this running offense. I think the Steelers are going to have some success. And then that leads into the second question, which is how are we downgrading the Steelers offense with Mason Rudolph, who is worse than Pickett and probably worse than Trubisky as well. That question is minimal when you can run the ball, right? I mean, what a quarterback is asked to do depends on a lot on, you know, how long those third downs are going to be, how many third downs there are. And so if the Steelers are running the ball successfully, it really reduces the impact that a downgraded quarterback can have on the game. So there's two reasons why I really like the Steelers here, given the injury impacts. And then the third is Jamar Chase. Again, injury impact is not a flat rate for every player. But in a game, you know, for a quarterback like Jake Browning, who has relied on, you know, like you said, his 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 average, his yards per attempt is like two yards higher than his average depth of target. And to me, that means 
he's getting the ball into the hands of his playmakers and his playmakers are making plays. Jamar Chase is their best playmaker. So everything shifts without him. And I think, you know, a lot of those completions to T Higgins late against the Vikings were just T Higgins making, you know, man plays. Um, and that's not a reliable form of offense. He's just chucking it up when he gets under pressure. That won't sustain itself. I think this is a, another tough game for Jake Browning after his first outing against the Steelers when he did have Jamar Chase. Um, so I see a lot of angles to really like the home dog here, um, especially on the money line or getting getting two, getting two and a half. Um, I would still take that. So like the Steelers, don't really have a side on total, probably over, but the, the game flow, the pace of it might slow that down and really make it hard to go over. So I'm not interested in betting it, but I do have interest on the Steelers here. Steelers probably make for a pretty interesting uh, teaser leg as well here, getting some points at home, a uh, low-scoring game, if that was your thing. Because uh, you make a good point. I mean, the Mason Rudolph, I think he is undoubtedly worse than Mitch Trubisky, but like, a little bit mitigated in the fact that you can run the football and you know take that out of his hands a little bit. So it makes it a little bit easier to, to kind of get away with. So Our only issue... The issue with the teaser leg is Rudolph does present a little bit of variance, as does Browning at this point, frankly. Um, and so if, if my read on the game is wrong, if, if my read on how these injuries impact the game is wrong, like Bengals blowout is clearly within range of outcomes. So um, it, it's a game that I'm looking to play the leverage, like the money line, you get plus money on a bet that, you know, it's probably close to 50-50. Um, I think that's probably my preferable way to take it. All right. We'll keep it moving. Uh, we'll move over to Sunday. Uh, the aforementioned Browns on the road in Houston to take on the Texans. As mentioned there, CJ Stroud not with us again for this game, which really sucks. Again, you know, you hate to see a guy ruled out early in the week for the second week in a row in the concussion. Hopefully he's okay. Hopefully that can uh, resolve itself and he will be back here to finish the season because they are still viable for the playoffs. Uh, this one is impactful, though. Uh, this is obviously impacted the line as well. Houston went from a two and a half point home favorite here to a two and a half point dog. Total got as high as 43 and a half for a bit. Now 40, 40 and a half basically uh, across the market. So shop around if you have a lean there as well. We have both teams currently in the playoffs. Uh, as of now, the Browns, though, in great shape. As Clark mentioned, that game last week, you know, there's a cluster of teams at eight and six. Browns now nine and five puts them in a really nice spot here in terms of the playoff picture. So uh, it's been interesting to see the Browns be really aggressive from a pass rate over expectation standpoint with Flacco under center with some offensive line injuries as well. Uh, and there's a pretty big split in terms of the defense here. I would love to have Stroud because it'd be very interesting to see. Like Again, small sample. This Browns defense has been incredible, but like they're giving up almost 31 a game on the road, about 350 yards per game on the road as well, whereas like they're holding teams like under 17 points, under 200 total yards at home. It's just a pretty large uh, again, small sample, but pretty large discrepancy in what they've been doing here so far this season. Uh, Clark, I'll let you get started with this one. I don't have a sophisticated reason why, but I think that's just variance. Like, I, I just, I don't, I don't believe that a, a defense is going to be like materially different whether they play at home or on the road. Like, you get some crowd noise, you know, the dog pound, et cetera, that, that matters. But I think it's really just been variance. But this defense is really good. And I, you know, I played the under at open because. I thought that it was not correct to assume that CJ Stroud was going to be playing. I mean, he didn't practice all week last week, and that's a bad sign for someone in concussion protocol. Uh, there was no indication that he was even close to clearing it. So um, even with Stroud, I like the under, you know, at 42 and a half. But now that Stroud has been ruled out, it's down to 40, 40 and a half. I still like the under at 40, 40 and a half because uh, this Texans offense really struggled against the Titans, and the Titans were missing some guys on defense. Uh, it, it was ugly. You know, they, they went all the way to the end of overtime to get their 19th point uh, in that one, and it just was not pretty. So 
the Texans offense is really going to struggle without Tank Dell. You know, who knows if Nico Collins is playing, obviously CJ Stroud, uh, the offensive line's banged up. Uh, it's just not a good spot. And then on the other side of the ball, the Browns were lucky to get to their their 20 points that they got against the Bears. Uh, you know, that game was the, the total closed at 37 and a half or 38. And they didn't even get to the total despite a pick six, an interception return to the one, and a muffed punt on the 20. So three very, two very, very short fields and a, and a defensive touchdown. They still went under in that game. Um, despite their pass rate over expectation, they're just not good on offense. Like, they're not completing a lot of passes. They're not converting a lot of third downs. Um, and I think the Texas defense really showed up against the Titans. And I think this is going to be another game where the Browns just don't score consistently. And so it's going to be hard uh, without either team consistently scoring an offense for the game to clear 40. And, and I like the under here. Yeah. Uh, what do you think there, Connor? I still like it. I probably lean under there too, even though we definitely, you know, knowing the 43s are available, that stinks a little bit. We're still, I love that Clark got in there early, uh, but still lean under here too. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I think my take more skews towards the Cleveland side here, you know, even at the current number looking at minus two on the road here against Houston, Clark brought up a good point here. Like this Houston offense was uh, horrible for like most of the game. And then they just started feeding Singletary and finding some room on the ground and like, you know, they had some success there and maybe they have a little bit of success here, uh, you know, on the ground against Cleveland, but they're basically like an all or nothing defense. They like lead the league in runs stopped at the line of scrimmage, but also allow one of the highest rates of explosive runs. So it's like they either stop them for, you know, a short gain or they allow, you know, a massive gain there. So I think that's going to be probably Houston's goal will just be to run the ball a lot, but I don't just don't really think that's sustainable here against an overall pretty good defense. And the other side, as you mentioned, Flacco, their pass rate of expectation with Flacco, second in pass rate of expectation, fourth in pass rate. I don't know what it is. Like the same thing happened when we went with the Jets. Like we went from a super run heavy to a pass heavy team. I think he might just be like never checking out to runs, maybe changing the plays. Like I like I don't see how this is possible now over two separate teams that literally both teams go from like one of the run heaviest teams to the pass heaviest teams when Flacco's quarterback. And it's not all game script. Like I mean, a lot of these games are close. So I don't know. I think that in this spot though. They do get a pretty good draw against Houston. So since the week seven by Houston allowing uh 67% completion rate, 8.2 yards per pass attempt, both of those bottom five right now. So, I mean, we've seen Amari Cooper do well. We've seen him targeting David and Joku a bunch. It's not like he doesn't have a ton of weapons. They just haven't scored a bunch. So like, I don't know. I, I think that I would lean towards the Cleveland side here because I mean, if Cleveland gets up and Houston has to play catch up mode, I mean, that is ugly. Like that is really ugly. So uh, yeah, I think I, I still like Cleveland under three here. Yeah, I don't want uh, Case Keenum when it's you know Miles Miles Garrett's like you know raining down on him and it's uh, Case Keenum time. It's not a I don't think it's a great place that you want to be uh, having your money when involved. you're when you're an elite quarterback. You got to pass it, Connor. That's <laughs> uh, it's so funny how he's still uh, around considering like who he played with and who he played against. You know the whole like is Flacco elite and this guy's still kicking and like everyone else that I you know just associate with my mind is like long retired at this point. So it's funny. Yeah. I mean, Brown's ults are interesting. If, if, if your angle is, you know, if the Texans get behind, what are they going to do against this defense? Could be it easily be like a 31-3 type game. Still cashing the under. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Another uh, injury concern here in this next one. Uh, Jacksonville is on the road in Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, fairly interesting market. I don't know. I feel like in years past, these games wouldn't be posted yet, especially like with Trevor Lawrence, like an impactful uh, you know, player in terms of where the, the line is. Um, but again, we have a, a you know, variety of prices currently on the matchup. It looks like FanDuel. Uh, the Bucks are one and a half point favorites there. Other shops have this as a pick. 
This was Jags minus three in the look-ahead window. But again, the Bucks are getting a deserved bump after their Week 15 win in Green Bay. Jacksonville lost in a primetime spot on Sunday night against the Ravens. Total between 42, 43 and a half. So shop around there if you haven't really leaned. But I, I'll start with you, Clark. I'd love to get your thoughts because we know this line will move a little bit either way when we get official news uh, as it pertains to Lawrence, right? That's just how this works. Um, even if you feel like this is a Lawrence line or this is a not Lawrence line, when the news becomes official, there will be a market reaction. But what are your thoughts now? Is this a Lawrence line? Um, it's a FanDuel's line at, at minus one and a half. But where do you think we're going here? No, this is an in-between line. And I think the the concussion protocol, like they're not saying anything meaningful about these guys' injuries because I mean it's their private health information. Like they don't they don't want to be like, oh yeah, today, you know, he did the light test and here's how he responded to the light. Like they're everything is undercover. And so we know nothing. Our updates are literally he's in the concussion protocol, not even what step they're in typically. Um, so I think it's a complete black box in terms of whether or not Lawrence will be able to play. I, I hope he does, you know, not only for his own health, but also just for the quality of the game. But this line itself is is between. I mean, if, if Lawrence is playing and healthy, then I think the Jags are favored. And if Lawrence is out, then I think the Bucks probably favored by more, maybe closer to three, uh, if not outright three. Um, because I think Lawrence is a meaningful, meaningful impact on the spread. His, 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 he played well last week. I, you know, I know that they only scored seven points against the Ravens, but I thought he put together a good game. I, you know, he was under a lot of pressure. It made a lot of really good throws. There were some bad drops that hurt him. There was the Calvin Ridley, you know, non-touchdown at the end. Uh, he made the the dumb decision to throw short of the goal line before the half. Like that's on him. But also the pass before that was beautiful. Um, and then the stupid fumble. Obviously, he's he's had too many of those mistakes where it's he wasn't even touched. He just dropped the ball on the ground. It's 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 wild. But but I think Trevor Lawrence's impact to this offense is monumental. So I, I, it's not a game that I want any part of right now because the uh, the outcome of his concussion protocol determines which side I like in this game. And I just don't like gambling on you know how that turns out. But I will say, as far as having a line available, um, one thing that one nuance that I think a lot of betters don't think about is. Uh, books don't have flat limits for every game. And so I think this is one of those games where even though books are posting lines, the books that have, you know, bigger limits that let betters bet into it are probably keeping the limits low on this game until they, you know, have some clarity on the injury. And I think that's smart because, you know, it has such a huge impact on this one. Yeah, that makes sense. Connor, where are we, uh, where do you think we're going here, depending on uh, the Lawrence news or what are your thoughts on the matchup? Yeah, I think if Lawrence is in, we're looking at probably Jags minus two and a half, minus three. And then if he's out, Bucks minus two and a half, minus three. I think that's kind of just like the, I mean, it seems like a pretty fair move in my mind. Maybe it doesn't get to the full three on either side, um, depending on the market sentiment. But I think either way, um, it could be an interesting look here. And if this was a bodily injury, like if this was like another knee or an arm, I absolutely know that Trevor Lawrence would be playing at this point in the season after this man has been going through ankle injuries, knee injuries, like his whole, he is beat to shit at this point. And like, he's still plugging the way, still running every week. Like he is an absolute warrior, but because it's a head injury, like, I don't really know if he's going to be like, yeah, I need to play. Like I'm just going to play. You can't like shoot, you know, shoot up your head there. Uh, it doesn't quite work like that for, for brain injury. So I think you take it slowly here, but I do think that the Jags could focus on running the ball here. Tampa Bay run defense has not been that good lately. So they're sixth in EPA, fourth in explosive run rate allowed, but 31st in rushing success rate allowed, which is a pretty stark difference essentially. So on a play-to-play -play basis, they haven't been that good, but they're allowing a lot of touchdowns. They're still allowing some big play or they're not allowing big plays. So personally, I, you know, tend to value like the play-to-play -play basis more than like, you know, just touchdowns or just big plays. I think 
some of that is a little bit noisy. So, you know, I, I personally think that they'll be able to run the ball here, even though the Jaguars haven't been super strong in that area. And then the Bucks' offense, another side here, I you know, has exceeded, far exceeded at least mine and Noonan's expectations with Dave Canales this season. And they're getting a Jags defense that just hasn't been playing all that well as of lately. You know, they're top five in rushing success rate, but their past defense since week nine, eight and a half yards per time, nearly 70% completion rate. Uh, I mean, they're getting cooked by, you know, basically out of everyone last few weeks. So, you know, I think that there's, plenty of ways here the Bucks can still score regardless of if Lawrence is in and then even if Lawrence does play I could see them kind of skewing run heavy here uh and trying to focus on that advantage but I mean the Bucks pass defense hasn't been that good either with how beat up they've been so it's it's not a, a game that I'm looking to bet on as it currently stands because of Lawrence but I think that if you take him out and put in Bethard there could be some angles here uh you know I think we'll just have to dig more of that when we get the news I mean my to my favorite futures and the futures have been so good the last couple of years i mean i love the rams under uh, i love the bucks under and those are they're not dead but man they are both on massive life support i uh, pretty much dead very 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 soon uh and, you know both teams are playing well like yeah i mean so kudos to like baker i think massively exceeding expectations uh, part of the handicap on the bucks a thousand percent percent correct but none of it mattered because like baker's made up for some of of those things as well like Secondary is weak. They can't stay healthy. That's what's happened. Um, and they are still winning football games. So uh, they deserve they deserve it. And, you know, here we are. They're, no one wants to win that division. And that's was part of our handicap all season. And that was correct. Uh, and, you know, the Bucks have done a good job exploiting that schedule. They all somewhat have. I mean, even, you know, a, a six and eight uh, Falcons team has done a good job exploiting the, the poor schedule they have. But, like, the Bucks are yet to beat a team that, Currently has a winning record. They are 0 6 against teams with a winning record, so uh, they still have to do it against uh, you know a team that matters. They don't necessarily like they they don't have to, and they can still get to the playoffs because that's how bad the other teams in the in the South are. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that this is the spot, and this would feel like a cheap way to get it if they got it with a uh, with a beat hard start instead of a, a, a T loss start. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, I. I don't know. Like you said, it's a black box. We have no idea. Like there's no lean. We don't, we don't, and then, you know, it's someone's personal life. We don't necessarily, we're not entitled to knowing where someone is in the steps and all those things. So uh, we just have to wait and see and be ready to react. If you have a lean, very similar in teams that uh, basically are doppelgangers. We have uh, Dallas is on the road in Miami. Um, both clubs have absolutely boat raced mid to bottom tier teams this season. Uh, they have both struggled. We're moving up in class. Dolphins have played. Three teams a season that appear to be playoff bound at this point, all three on the road, uh, and have lost all three. The Cowboys quieted that talk a bit when they dominated the Eagles in week 14, but did they give it all back last week when they got absolutely crushed by the Bills? Uh, again, another spot where small sample size for sure, but this like home road narrative remains there for Dallas and gets a little bit stronger after what happened last week. Now this line was Dallas minus one and a half in the lookaheads. Now we're minus one and a half on Miami side, total 51, 51 and a half there as well. Uh, Connor, floor is yours. What are your thoughts on this one? Probably one of the best matchups here of the week. Yeah, there's a couple of different angles that I think are interesting. So obviously we saw the Bills just run all over the Cowboys. And I think that, you know, I'm sure Mike McDaniel saw that and, and was very interested in probably continuing that same path here in some ways. But the question is whether the Dolphins can execute that type of dominance and like, I don't know the answer to that, and I kind of lean towards that not being the case. So the Cowboys right now, thirty dead last in rushing success rate allowed, 
prior to last night or prior to the last game, which is obviously important, they were still 31st. So it's not like it was just a one game thing where they got beat up. They were still not good on a success rate basis uh, heading into last week. And so now this week though, it's like, can Miami execute that? And if they'll probably receive a little bit more middling results, what else are they going to do here? Because Dallas can get really good pressure. We've seen Tua, you know, struggle under pressure from time to time. But with Tyreek back, and I think Mike McDaniel can probably help mitigate some of that pressure by scheming up shorter, you know, shorter throws here. Dallas also likes to play a lot of man coverage. Miami has absolutely wrecked man coverage. I mean, Tyreek Hill, they've only he's only run 80 routes or something against man coverage this season because no one plays it against him because he absolutely murders them every time. And he does like, it's like, literally it's like almost five yards per route run he's averaging. So it's just a really tough matchup. I think for both sides, whether what Dallas wants to do defensively and how Miami wants to approach it, but it's not strong enough. And I think there's like pros and cons where I want to take a side and be like, okay, I think Miami's going to absolutely go crazy here. And on the other side, this Dolphins defense, I saw Daigle tweeted this out. Actually, it's like Dolphins defense with Jalen Ramsey week eight on first in yards per play, first in EPA per play, first in EPA per drop back. But I don't want to be fooled here because the Dolphins defense has played against the Jets twice, the Raiders, the Commanders, and then allowed 28 points to the Titans. So, yes, they are definitely better. They are absolutely 100% a better defense than they were at one point. But are they, you know, first? Probably not. Are they top five? I'd still say still probably not. I think they're probably somewhere in that, you know, bottom 10-ish or like top 10-ish range in there, like 8 to 12 probably at this point as it stands. So, how does that factor into this point here? I could not be more disappointed in Dallas and what they drew up offensively last week. I mean, I just thought it was the stone cold worst game plan I've ever seen in my life against the Bills. Uh, and so, you know, I don't have much faith either way here. I'm curious on, on Clark, your thoughts though, because I, I would love to be convinced either way. And I think there are strong angles on both sides, but also think there's counter arguments on both sides. So I haven't played anything. Yeah, I also think that there are some key injury concerns here. I mean, Terry Kill is not a guarantee to play. The The Dolphins all year have played it cautiously with their questionable players. Like a lot of questionable players have been ruled out on game day. So even if he gets in, he didn't practice today, even if he gets a limited practice tomorrow, like I'm not, you know, I'm not putting him in 10 in the lineup. Like it's pencil for sure. Um, and then the offensive line's banged up for Miami too. Dallas dealing with an injury to Zach Martin was massive. After he went out of the game, you could see the difference on that offensive line. Um, he's just heart and soul of that offensive line. So a lot to sort out here injury wise, as far as the matchup goes, I think you have to, you have to watch that Bills Cowboys game and decide for yourself. Was that, was that the Bills dominating the Cowboys or was it the Cowboys not playing well enough to compete with the Bills? Cause I think those are two different questions. Um, and, and I, I, I came away from watching it thinking the Bills dominated them. Like it was, it was a hundred percent effort of the Bills. It was the Bills making sick catches. You know, you got James Cook making fingertip catch in the end zone. You got, you know, Diggs fingertip catch on third down after Josh Allen makes a miracle play. Uh, you got the, you know, the Cowboys came in for a for a punt block and he missed he missed the ball and ran into the punter. You know, extending the drive for the Bills. And that kind of like killed the Cowboys' momentum to that point. Not that they had a ton. The crowd was crazy. I mean, you could hear them throughout the game. It was just an environment that was just completely, you know, when you talk about the home crowd making a difference, that was what it looks like. So I think there was a lot of elements of that that had nothing to do with the Cowboys, had more to do with what the Bills needed to put on tape to, to make themselves make that playoff push. So I'm not downgrading the Cowboys dramatically after that loss. Um, if I was, I would, I would want to be on Miami because obviously the Cowboys look bad. But I think if they get Zach Martin back, they can, you know, get a slightly more favorable. Like it's not like Miami's easy to play in, but Miami fans aren't 
as passionate as Buffalo fans. Nobody's jumping through tables in South Beach, right? Um, so, so I think it'll be a slightly more favorable situation for the Cowboys to get back on track. We often see well-coached and talented teams bounce back after these kinds of losses. We've seen it again and again. Like it has a, a refocusing impact. Like you spend that whole week thinking about the taste that left in your mouth. Like this is a spot where the Cowboys have to really put it together. So um, I think there's a lot of reasons to kind of fade the idea that the Cowboys suck. Uh, but the question is, if Tyreek Hill, if Tyreek Hill's healthy and the offensive line is healthy, does it matter? Like, can they keep up with the Dolphins' speed uh, on the outside and over the middle? And, I, you know, I have significant doubts to that point. So I think that's why we're seeing a, a total as high as 51 and a half in today's NFL. It's a massive total. Um, so, and I think that makes sense. Like, both offenses should have some success, and both offenses should have some explosive plays, which is key to getting there. Um, I, haven't, I haven't taken a position on this game yet. I'm still kind of checking out the injury reports and, and kind of, like, digging into it. I think this one requires some time and effort. Um, and I'm not really particularly concerned about the line moving dramatically. I mean, maybe if Tyree Kill is ruled out, you know, maybe the Cowboys gets flipped to favorites. But if Tyree Kill gets ruled out, I don't want the Dolphins anyway, right? Um, so this is a, a wait-and-see game for me with lots of intrigue, and I'm going to be super excited to watch it play out too. Yeah, even if we get Tyreek in, I don't think we get to three. So, like, I get your point. Like, I don't think that there's a need to, you know, to jump or get in anything early here. Uh, the offensive line injuries on both sides, I think, are pretty impactful because like both teams can get pressure. You know, even though we don't have, you know, a, like a fully healthy, you know, Miami defense either with you know Jalen Phillips out, like they've still been able to generate a ton of pressure. Um, you know, Siegel and Wilkins up the middle, uh, Chubb's been great. Like Van Ginkle at the edge, like they've still been getting a ton of pressure. Uh, and then we saw what happened. Like you know, Buffalo's early season pressure numbers were great, but like they looked like that kind of unit last week. When Zach Martin went out, they'd already had some guys pregame that weren't even in. So that became a problem for Dallas, too. And then, like Connor said, like Dallas has been bad against the run all season. But with Jonathan Hankins out, like Jonathan Hankins isn't like a great interior defensive lineman, but he's really big. Uh, it just like you need to account for his size and like eating up space because they're a little bit smaller in the interior. And then you add like Maisie Smith has to play more snaps. He's also like really small, too. And it just became like a really clear way a game plan here for like what the bills needed to do. So kudos to Joe Brady for just being like, why are we going to stop? They cannot stop this yet. Let's just keep doing what's working, which is, you know, seems so like natural, but not always what teams do. It's like, Oh no, this is, this is what our game plan was. This is our agenda. We're going to come and do this, but like, all right, we're just going to keep doing, you know, variations of the same two or three plays until you can stop it. So, you know, I think these are massive, massive injuries in terms of handicapping this game. So no rush to, to jump in here too. And then the man piece, like Connor outlined too, I think is a massive you know piece of intriguing uh, strategy here because like, again, even the, the man heaviest teams like Dallas, you know, in the league, like they're still playing sub 50% man. Uh, but what does that look like? Are you playing 20% man? Are you even risking that with Tyreek uh, against a, a defense that like, I know like Diggs isn't healthy anymore, but like they still take a lot of chances. They, they like, there's a little bit of risk it, no, no risk it, no biscuit in that back end too. So like, that's, this is not a good matchup for that either. So just going to be a great football game to watch. I don't know where I want to jump in because uh, the explosive piece still makes me think that there's room for points, even though the, the point total is, is like may as well be 60 in this, this NFL at 51, 51 and a half. Like that's a massive, massive number. Uh, so maybe it's a team total if I have a lean or something like that. So definitely a market to watch as we get uh, closer to closer to kick on Sunday. All right, the uh, bell of the ball. Uh, we have three games on Christmas. They are, um, you know, good football. There's some good football teams, not some great football games, but the last one should be pretty good. Baltimore is in San Francisco here. 
uh, pitting the top seeds in each conference that get you against each other here. Niners, uh, we're five and a half basically across the board. Looks like you can still get a five on FanDuel. Uh, 46 and a half, shading to 47 now. We've even moved to 47 in a lot of spots, and the total just continues to move. Kick it to you, Clark. I mean, the Niners are an absolute wagon. Um, I feel like we know that we're like paying peak price essentially for the Niners, right? Like market sentiment is as high as ever. You're basically telling us right now that for the most part, the Niners are five points better than any other team in the league, essentially, right? Four points, whatever your home field adjustment is for the Niners, probably less than two, whatever that is. Um, pretty substantial. We, we know that they had that little three game hiccup in the middle, but it's very easy to go back and pinpoint no Trent Williams, no Debo Samuel. When they have all the horses, they are unstoppable. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, Merry Christmas. This is a, a treat for football fans. Uh, I'm excited about it. There's so many implications, right? It's a big MVP implications game. The the if the Niners win, you know, it's it's Purdy or, or CMC probably Purdy. If the Ravens win uh, and Lamar has a good game and Purdy struggles, now all of a sudden it's wide open, right? You, you, you can make the case for Lamar if the Ravens win out. Uh, even if the Ravens don't win out, it brings into play guys like Josh Allen. If the 49ers don't win out, you know, so su super interesting game with implications. But as far as the matchup goes, um, it, we are, we're, we're seeing the 49ers priced at their peak, but that's not been a problem for them because they've just been rolling people. I mean, like two weeks ago, they didn't cover the spread, a massive spread against Seattle. And now even that was kind of like late game variance when you're dealing with that, you know, 14 point spread or whatever it ended at. Um, and it depends on what you got the spread at, frankly, for that one. But um five and a half at home against the ravens um certainly doable but I, i'm really interested to see whether or not the ravens defense can do something to stop this offense right one thing we've seen from this four niners offense is it's like a hydra with like you know three heads you chop off one of its heads another one grows back or two more grow back like you you try to take out you know okay we're going to focus on stopping cmc it's like okay like Debo Samuel is going to get the ball and he's going to turn a five-yard catch into a 30-yard you know run we've got brandon Ayuk over the middle, wide open, because if you're not doubling him, he's going to cut inside and catch that ball for 15 yards. Easy. Uh, you know, you got George Kittle somehow escaping out the side because, you know, you're too focused on the other three guys. And now George Kittle's got a 40-yard catch. Like, the the offense is so well designed to create open space. I'm really interested to see if a really good defense like the Ravens can stop it. Uh, if they can, if they can disrupt this offense, uh, then I think there are some concerns about this Niners offense because – you're still relying on Brock Purdy, who is not a a caliber of quarterback the likes of any of the top quarterbacks in the league. Like, I know he's a good player. I understand that. I know his stats are fantastic. But he's not the kind of player who, when things are tough, he can just start creating against a bad defense. Like, he needs that structure to succeed at the level that he's been succeeding at. Um, and I understand that he's also pretty good at scrambling. Like, he, he can create plays. He can extend plays on the run. He had a beautiful pass. Uh, on the run last week, but it's not something that's consistently part of his game. He's not a high volume thrower. He's not a high volume scrambler. And I think if the Ravens can make him uncomfortable, then there's an actual chance that the Ravens can win this game outright on the road. Um, but that's a big if, and not an if that I'm necessarily putting any money behind. Uh, but it's something that I want to see because that's going to have a big, uh, you know, it's going to alter how I view the playoff race, basically, and how, how I expect this Niners team to handle the run through the NFC. I mean, and the last thing I want to talk about is is the defensive injuries on the Niners. I mean, Jason Hargrave, uh, Javon Hargrave, and um, Eric Armstead were out last week, and that made a difference against the Cardinals offense that looked actually better than I would have expected. Um, so if those guys are out again, then the Ravens might have it a little bit easier up front on offense. So 
some things, some injury reports to watch before I take a final position, but uh, definitely some intrigue. And I don't think this is going to be one way easy action for the Niners. Where are you on this one, Connor? Yeah, so I'm just real quick. I think if Clark had an MVP vote, he would not be voting for Purdy. I would not be. <laughs> Couldn't tell uh, at all there. No, just kidding. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. I think I have a Purdy good. ticket because I don't get to vote. <laughs> the vote. The dumb people voting are going to vote Purdy, and that's fine. Smart man. Yeah, I think that's that's a very fair angle here. I think there's a couple of unique spots here where I think that Baltimore's defense may not be quite as dominant as we've seen them for the majority of the season. So, and one of them I think is in the running game here. So their run defense is 11th in EPA per play, 15th in explosive run rate, 17th in rushing success rate. And I, I think that's a massive problem here against the Niners team that at its core, if they can run, you're pretty much screwed. I mean, like in my mind, that's kind of like the core of stopping this offense is that you need to stop the run and then hopefully stop the pass. Uh, and so if they can't do that, then, I think it's not over, but it's going to be really tough for to hold the Niners like less than 21, 24 points in this spot. And so also we've kind of seen from a couple of times now, Baltimore has gotten exposed, you know, defensively, uh, you know, Stafford pushed the ball downfield against them, you know, the Ram uh, and Deshaun Watson even, you know, had some success against them and scoring a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, we saw Baltimore played really well against Detroit, but that was a road game for the Lions. Their home road splits have been pronounced all year. They played well against Houston in week one. Uh, you know, again, not surprising that Stroud didn't really click right away. And then they played Seattle at home and absolutely wrecked them. Like, those are the best offenses that they've played all year. And now they're getting San Francisco, who in my mind is like a clear caliber ahead of basically everyone that they've played so far this year. So we talked about it too at the beginning. Like, I don't think that... Baltimore's defense has necessarily like elite talent top to bottom. They are just incredibly, incredibly well coached. Their scheming is incredible. Like from week to week basis and their game planning has largely been incredible. And so it's going to be, I think a battle of two, you know, masterminds here and how that, you know, goes back and forth. But on the other side too, I think Lamar's pressure splits are a concern here. If San Francisco is healthy, like getting pressure on Lamar could be an issue. And, you know, there are some rumblings that uh, Zay Flowers was struggling after the game, like in a walking boot potentially, didn't practice again today. That would obviously be a massive difference maker too, is kind of their chain moving wide out, I would say. It's puts a lot of pressure on OBJ, Isaiah Likely, Rashad Bateman there to function against a, a pretty strong San Francisco defense. So as it stands, uh, I like Niners minus five and a half here, but you know, I think that depending on how the injury situation shakes up here, uh, I could back Baltimore, but I think it's it's probably going to be a Niners look for me, even at the peak of the market, like Newton mentioned. I took four on Sunday night uh, when it opens. I'll pr um, I might take like some alts. Like um, I don't know. I I, I the the Purdy stuff is so interesting to me because I like we pretend that like I don't know what the perception is. I feel like, and I, I know this is an, I, not addressing like you, Clark, because I, first of all, I know that you're watching every game, um, but I feel like the general perception uh, is like that. This guy's just throwing like checkdowns and like shallow crossers and like mesh concepts and just like everything at and around the line of scrimmage. That is not how they play football. And I don't know why this is the first time that like like an MVP caliber quarterback is surrounded by a talented cast. Like the MVP, it's typically on a team that is going to the playoffs, which means there's a shit ton of other good players on his team. I'm in sure it's a like a situation where like we all think. This is probably one of, if not the best offensive minds in the game, calling plays. They are absolutely loaded at the talent positions. So like, it's inarguable. And the fact that you have to have a conversation about someone else on his team being in the MVP discussion 
isn't great either. But part of that is just, I think, where we come into, where our priors come in, right? We're bringing priors in from like, all right, you know, Mr. Irrelevance, this guy wasn't even, you know, started last season. He's coming off of uh, sh- sh- like elbow surgery. We didn't even know what was good. It was going to be people are betting Sam Darnold uh, for MVP because they're like, oh, we just we can plug in whoever, and that's who's going to be the MVP this year's whoever's the quarterback of the Niners. And I think it's massively unfair, you know, in the in the chat too, like about elevating your talent. Also, like you can make a case that he's elevating his talent. Like these are really talented players. And they're absolutely a buzzsaw against everyone they play when they have everyone in the lineup. So, like, I don't know. I, I, I think the, the Purdy stuff is is kind of jumped the shark at this point where it's a little too much. Now, again, the market's telling us that it's not because we're, like, minus 200. Uh, but there's just still a lot of slander, I think, in our space around how good he is. Now, you can make a case for Christian McCaffrey being the MVP. I just think this, like, game manager, limited talents playing within the system, it's like, Okay, a lot of guys did that. Like Joe Montana played within the system, right? They they started the West Coast offense. That was a system that really wasn't there before. When things went awry and Jerry Rice and John Taylor were out, it was really hard. But when they weren't and they were healthy, Joe Montana was fantastic. Um, so like it's just, Tom Brady was really good in the system when they had the ability to you know get the ball out and have players make plays because Purdy has kind of the it stuff. We know that the quarterback position is really really hard to evaluate. Teams whiff all the time in the draft. We whiff all the time and guys that we think are going to be good because sometimes it just is that ability to process information quickly. And I don't think we've seen anything for Purdy that makes you think this guy doesn't have that. And that more than anything, if you have enough arm strength and you have talent that can do something after the catch and elevate your team. So I think he's, I think he's really darn good at the game. I think he's fun to watch. Uh, and I'm going to take some, maybe some nine and a halfs um, or something on the alt line, because I think there's some Jekyll and Hyde stuff on the, on the Ravens. I think Connor touched on that. Sometimes they play the level of their competition and their offense, I think could be for the most part, if you look at most metrics we care about, they're like seven to 15, like they're good. Um, and they can have some ceiling outcomes. Uh, maybe they do if there's some injury issues here or the Niners, but like, I just, I don't, I don't know what the, the Niners, the bad outcomes of the Niners, I think are still pretty good. Yeah. The, uh, you want to know another guy who has also played in a pretty similar system uh, with talent. Matt Ryan in 2017 when he won the MVP playing alongside Julio Jones, who's you know arguably one of the best slash most talented receivers of all time and was just throwing, you know, lasers across the middle to him, uh, you know, and obviously he didn't have a, a running back like Christian McCaffrey, but the whole offense ate, they were crushing, you know, I don't think Matt Ryan is super talented either, but you know, like being able to function and excel within that system was something that he did not do in his first year with Kyle Shanahan. And then I'm talking about Matt Ryan still. And then the second year, one MVP, basically, you know, kind of connecting all together. And we've seen Brock Purdy do nothing but basically crush from the get go, you know, as like a, you know, basically late round guy and, you know, come in with a ton of talent. The thing, the, the reason that people like disagree with, you know, you Noonan, I think to Clark's point is that he doesn't have to do anything else. Like Mahomes runs around and like, you know, throws a dart across his body and like, you know, the guy runs for 50 yards and touchdown and you're like, all right, that's sick. Like he did that. Purdy doesn't have to do that because someone's always open. So it's like, mm-hmm. and I don't think he's really capable of doing that to be fair too, to Clark's point. Like he's sure. probably not as talented as like Mahomes, Josh Allen, like any of these guys. Indisputable. But yes. But he's playing at a level that I think is incredibly, incredibly high and the team is winning games. So it's probably going to be him for MVP in my mind. Um, but I can see why if you're just evaluating like a talent basis, like he's not a top five quarterback, you know, in, in any world on a talent basis, plugging him into a neutral system, but he doesn't have to be because I don't think that's what the award is at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the people that, because, you know, like you said, I've, I've watched every every game. I've watched every snap of every game this season for every team. Uh, and I, so I'm not, I'm not basing this on preconceived notions of who Purdy is. In fact, I was higher on Purdy than most people, like all of last year and going into this year. Like I like Purdy a lot, um, but it, it's just when you, when you watch him, it's like, man, he has all this time in the pocket. This guy's wide open downfield and he's, and he makes a good throw. Like I'm not, I don't think anyone's out here saying Purdy's not good, but it's just when you watch that offense, there's so many reasons why it's successful. That's not what Purdy is bringing to the table. I, I think it plays like, you know, he takes a sack on second down to make it like third and 20. Uh, this was earlier in the year. And then he just throws a bubble screen on third and 20. And Debo takes it 25 yards for the first down. And he gets like a massive EPA boost, massive yards. But, you know, and it's like, no, it's not every play. He's not just throwing screens and throwing at the line of scrimmage. Like he's throwing downfield. But the ability of his, his players, uh, you know, there was a play against, I think it was Philadelphia, where he threw it like five yards over the middle to Debo. Like he was just sitting there. It's like, okay, here you go, Debo. Debo runs it for 40 yards because he's a stud. You know, Christian McCaffrey's doing the same thing. And, and even when they're running the ball, like Christian McCaffrey's getting chunks of yards on the ground, uh, which is forcing defenses into, you know, coming closer to the line and just freeing up that space on the backside. So it's just, it's on easy mode for him and he's doing a great job with it. So if he wins MVP, I won't be, I won't be upset because he's done what he needs to do to win it. And none of the other quarterbacks, frankly, have stepped up in that way. Um, so I think if, if it makes sense to give it to a guy who's not, the best quarterback in the league like this is the year to do that and that's why i took out a ticket on it but um the idea that he is the best and most valuable player in the league is, is just a, a silly concept in my opinion also yeah. also i want to point out the niners offense since since they last lost a game here are the defenses they've faced cincinnati jacksonville tampa bay seattle philadelphia seattle arizona like probably every one of those defenses is below average um, maybe you can make a case for some of those being at average. Uh, but that's why I'm interested to see how they do against Baltimore. If they roll Baltimore, then it's like, okay, this offense is built to beat everybody in the NFL. But if if they struggle in this game in particular, it carries more weight. Because then it's like, oh, okay, so they rolled like seven bad defenses, and then they struggle with one bad defense. And that's why I say it impacts how I view their playoff run. Because in the playoffs, they're going to face a lot more difficult defenses, um, especially if they get to the Super Bowl. So. This is a big game, I think, for for projecting San Francisco forward, and, and I think um, if they do roll them, if you if all your bets are correct, uh, I think that's a pretty good sign that the Niners are are set, you know, for a Super Bowl run if they don't get injured. Yeah, yeah, that's all we want to raise. Right? We just come out of it healthy, both sides, so we can actually get the best versions of these teams moving forward, and we can actually see, you know, how they how they line up and stack up here. So, yeah, yeah, I'm hopeful for that. It's uh, also. Game. Also important to note that if anyone says a player should win MVP because of their EPA, just throw the argument in the garbage. Half the voters don't even understand what EPA is or have never even heard of it slash don't believe in it. So just like, you know, you can make a case for, you can make a good case of why someone, you think someone should win MVP because of that. But if that's your case of why you think they will win MVP because of what the voters will vote, just forget about it. Like I think, you know, yeah. But it's not a coincidence that everyone, like, Dating back to Cam Newton, okay, so since since Cam Newton won, every quarterback that has won has either been number one in EPA per play or barely number two, right? So I think it was uh, Mahomes was, like, barely behind Drew Brees. Both of them had really high EPAs. And then uh, there was another one. Brady was slightly ahead of uh, maybe Aaron Rodgers. Anyway, um, every year. And, and this year, Purdy is so far above everybody, every other quarterback. Like, Lamar Jackson is second quarterback in MVP voting right now. 
and Purdy is like 0.35 or something, and Lamar Jackson's like 0.9. Like it's a massive difference. This isn't this isn't some obscure stat where it's like, oh, what's you know, you can contextualize it. Like Purdy is straight up being more efficient by a mile than every other quarterback in the league. So I do understand the EPA argument, even though even though the voters probably don't you know, check out. Right. Because it, right. well, it does a great job capturing efficiency and touchdowns, like all in one right. stat. Offensive efficiency. You know. Yeah. Right. Like, I think that's why it's so related to MVP voting is like, it does like capture because they have a ton of big plays. They have a ton of touchdowns. Like that's, you know, it's significantly better than Baltimore, you know, like one-to-one -one basis. So. I mean, if it was just the best play in the league award, that's different. Like, well, first of all, then you just, you have these pockets of history where no one else wins it except one guy. And we are in like the Patrick Mahomes era. We would just give it to Patrick Mahomes every year because no one here is going to make a sound argument that he's not the best football player and probably even the most valuable to his team, right? Because we don't think that that Chiefs roster is world beaters on really either side of the ball. Defense is better, but like Patrick Mahomes is probably the most valuable. And you get into like, all right, then it's Josh Allen. Right, because where are the Chiefs or the Bills without Josh Allen, we, we just can't. That's not what we're doing, right? Because that's a totally different thing than you would have had. You know, these Tom Brady every year, Peyton Manning for Chuck Lee would have alternated years. Whoever had the best stats, because they're both awesome. Like it's just not what the award is. So it's you know, it is what it is. No one's making the argument that Purdy is you know top three, top five quarterback or the best. But having the best season, tied to the best team. I've heard some like you know other. And we can roll into some other future thoughts if you guys have any like, oh, Shanahan can't win coach of the year because he's probably going to have the MVP on this team. Well, we've had a couple examples of that in the last handful of years. First of all, the, with the Ravens, you had Harbaugh win coach of the year, I think 2019, the same year that Lamar won, the Cam Newton year, Riverboat Ron won coach of the year. So like you can have some of these things work out at the same exact time. So it's, uh, you know, it, yeah, believe it or not, Ron Rivera won coach of the year, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so that's interesting. You guys have any other future thoughts or any other, you know, awards markets that we didn't touch on at the top here or anything you want to touch on here? Uh, open floor, another game in week 16, Clark. Uh, futures, anything you got? Awards? Um, nothing in futures or awards uh, this week. I mean, like I haven't had time, frankly, with my traveling to like break down the different prices. There's probably some value somewhere on the board. You know, you got to look at things like, how does CJ Stroud's concussion impact the playoff picture in the AFC? Like there's probably some prices that you might be able to pick off there. Uh, as for games this week, um, I played I played the Saints on Thursday Night Football, plus four and a half, but it's good at plus four still. Um, th th this is a sort of stylistic matchup I like for the Saints where, you know, we see Matthew Stafford have more trouble with man-heavy man defenses uh, that can actually cover his receivers. And also they've been relying on Kyron Williams a lot in the offense. And I think the Saints run defense is good enough to cause Kyron Williams some problems. Like the thing about a good running game is no matter how good the running game is, if the defense beats you up front, you, you know, Kyron Williams isn't running through people. He's just been, you know, getting through his holes effectively. So I think if, if the Saints defense can, can stop the run, then that puts a lot on Stafford's shoulders and um, makes this game tighter uh, than the spread would suggest over, over the three, over the key number of three. Um, and I think Chris Olave coming back matters for the Saints. They finally got Shahid, Olave, and Taysom Hill all back healthy. Their offense looks different when they have all their weapons, especially in the red zone. So uh, I think the Saints should be able to keep up with the Rams in this one. Uh, what's in the menu for you, Connor? What do you got? I don't know. I was just checking the offensive player of the year market, and I think Tyreek Hill plus 105 if he plays this week is a little short because I think two weeks ago – we were looking at him like minus 175, minus 200 in this market. And like people were like, oh, that's way too short because I mean, he's just absolutely dominating. And then he takes, you know, one week off, like one and a half, kind of basically getting injured. 
Uh, and now Christian McCaffrey's minus 160 here. I don't know. I, I'm going to probably throw some money at Tyreek because as long as the it, you know the report keeps going up here because he has a big game here. I mean, if Dallas is playing, man, I'm going to be betting longest completion overs for Tua. I'm going to be betting you know all this crazy shit. And I mean, 100 yards and two touchdowns for for Tyreek here, and uh, he's going to be back to like minus 200 even if CMC scores like two touchdowns. So I think that's an interesting look. Another one, gross one that uh, I don't know if Clark played this game yet, but this is like. Maybe one of my grossest bets today, but I'm, I think I'm two and zero on gross bets so far on the year that I bring up on the show. Uh, Carolina plus five against Green Bay. Uh, I kind of like it. Um, I at home, we're getting Carolina playing significantly better defense. Like their run defense, you know, last couple of weeks have been playing better. Their pass defense has largely been playing well, even against you know CJ Stroud after the bye. Dak Prescott, um, you know, largely played pretty solid. Then the Packers run defense, they get allowing over five yards per carry. Like there's a path for them to be reasonably efficient offensively uh, for once ever. Like, and then there's also a path for them to slowing down the Packers who could be without Christian Watson, could be without Jaden Reed. Like it's not as clear cut out. Jordan Love is going to win in this game. I don't know. Five points at home seem like a little bit high there in this point. It's a gross, like, you know, I might go take a shower after I bet it, but it, I think there's a little bit of value there. Take the money line, bud. You know what? Why not? Good teams win. Great teams cover. I mean, the best teams win outright, you know? Be an interesting game as a you know Patriots fan here with, uh, you know, the Panthers continuing to win some football games. You know, our Bron- Broncos Pats going head to head on Christmas Eve here, Connor. Um, I mean, you know, Broncos I been, shouldn't be six point favorites. I they shouldn't, right? Like that's like I, I don't want to take New England, but they, the Broncos should not be six and a half point favorites uh, at at all. Uh, Clark, that seems like a bet that you probably were dancing around at least a little bit. What are your what are your thoughts on uh, on Patriots Broncos? Um, I'm worried about the Patriots offensive line. Uh, Cole Strange got put on IR this week. Trent Brown missed last week. Uh, if you know their their entire offense relies on succeeding on the ground. Now the Broncos have been beaten on the ground, so you know it's possible. But if that offensive line is in, is banged up enough, it, it violates my rule of never betting on teams with a cluster injury on the offensive line. So um, probably a pass for me. Connor, your 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 Panthers bet gets the Sharp Clark stamp of approval. Though. Let's go. I had a feeling that you might like that. You didn't like it or absolutely hate it and like want Packers alts. I thought it would be like one of the two. I just wasn't sure which <laughs> no, one. No, I think there's <laughs> yeah, there's value on the Panthers there. Yeah. Uh, we are going back to, uh, you know, making another quarterback change in Atlanta. Uh, Desmond Ritter is all done. We are back to the uh, Taylor Heineke show here. Uh, Clark, we've we've uh, put – it looks like we've put Desmond Ritter down for the season. Yeah, but you know how many passing yards he got? He crossed the line for you though, right? I think it was like 25-17 or something. Uh, I bet over 2,500 passing yards for my only season-long player prop. And it Let's go. No no doubt in my mind at any point that he was going to do that. Um, so, um, yeah, he is not really an upgrade or downgrade in my mind. I think he's kind of a, a neutral. They don't really trust Heineke from what I've seen, so it's going to be a, a run-heavy approach, which hopefully if they use Bijan might be uh, successful. But um, this is a Falcons team that's spiraling, frankly. So I'm uh, not, not going to get heavily involved with them. Uh, even at home against a Colts team coming off a big win, it's just not – uh, not a, not a spot where I want to uh, jump on it. All right. Uh, see if there's anything else on the board. Nothing that's too, too exciting to me here. Um, yeah, that New England did jump out. I was like, man, they should not be six and a half point dogs. Right. Denver just shouldn't be six and a half point favorites. Really. I don't think against anyone at this point, but, uh, yeah, I, 
can't have it. And I, again, I need New England to make sure that they lose. We cannot get uh, cute and force our way down the board here. We, eye on the prize, focus, stay to the top of the board here. It's, let's not get fancy. So, all right, gentlemen, uh, good stuff as always. Um, oh, but one last one. Um, dead count, dead cat bounce for the Chargers. Uh, Connor, what do you think? You, know, you lose, you lose the coach. You know, we typically see that, uh, and the market kind of responded this way because this got out to 14, and now we're like 11 and a half. Um, which is again, like just wild to me, a market overcorrection from, you know, say a month ago from the chargers, but it's obviously such a massively different situation without Justin Herbert. But, you know, we've seen this a little bit here or your thoughts on, uh, you know, a massive, massive line here to start the, uh, the Saturday slate. Yeah. Two things. I do not think Buffalo is just like some run heavy team all of a sudden, like, uh, that was very, very much matchup driven. And I think that they might just chuck it. Like they might throw it, like exploit the chargers deep downfield basically the entire game. So I'm not super interested in, in uh, you know, backing the Chargers here. But I also am curious to see if Easton Stick runs the ball more. This dude was super athletic in college, like ran like a 4-6 or something like that, ran a bunch, has had no interest in running, like zero interest in his first game in running the ball at all. And I mean, they also had like zero designed runs at all. I mean, I know that's not really typically his thing, but like you figure you want to get him at least moving a little bit and they did none of that. So I don't know. Could be like if he can start moving a little bit, maybe they can keep it like somewhat close. But I'm kind of scared of the Bills just dropping 30, but this time through the air instead of like running the ball. So I don't know. I think that's probably my angle on the game. When everyone you know and everyone you see on Twitter has the same exact prop bet for a game, that is a like a telltale sign that you're probably on the wrong side. I saw people that didn't even know that bet props were like sweating ace and stick rushing yards. And I was like, well, this is not a place to be. And uh, yeah, it did not go very well. Uh, Clark, any thoughts on, uh, on that one there on Saturday? Let sleeping cats lie. <laughs> it's probably dead. <laughs> it's probably dead. So, all right. Well, regardless of uh, what you believe in or uh, if or how you celebrate, I hope the upcoming week for you uh, as our listeners uh, comes with, Little to no stress, hopefully some good food, some good beverages, as much quality time with people that you want quality time with as possible, uh, and hopefully some winning bets as well. So for Connor and Clark, I'm Ryan. We'll see you all next time. Thanks, everybody.